Well, good morning, uh, each of you. Uh, my name is Mitch Clausen, and as, uh, well, I've already been here once, uh, it's a joy and privilege to serve here on the pastoral team. I'm the pastor of Community and Youth. Uh, also, it's been a gift to be serving on the eldership board um, for the last chunk of time and serve you in these ways. Uh, I really do believe it's a gift for God's people to be gathered together, uh, and we are in the middle of this series, working through the Gospel of John and uh, we're going to be working into John 15 today. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. John 15, verses 1 through 17. One of the main things that I, I found just reading, praying through this passage, praying for each of you by name this week, as I was praying through and working through this passage, was this. You are built to remain. You are built to remain in Christ as the source of our life. It's a simple truth. Reading John 15, if you've ever read it before, you're like, wow, I'm really curious how to preach differently on this passage because it seems actually quite clear what the invitation is. Remain in me as I remain in you. So my encouragement as we begin this morning is that remaining in Jesus is the greatest of gains. Three years Jesus had been with His disciples to catch us up where we are in our series. Three years He was with His disciples and without restraint, Jesus had opened up the whole divine life to everyone who would be watching. His every move. Jesus is fueled, we see, by another source. Something that the disciples and those following Jesus just simply could not wrap their minds around. John, the beloved disciple, the author of the Gospel that we are reading, writes that Jesus reveals the joy of the triune God by transcending the boundaries of our understanding of power distance. Pastor John has been talking about this. Some of us are used to these low power distance cultures where we actually don't really look with respect and care to those in authority, but rather at the time of the writing of Scripture, there was this high power distance to say when they saw Jesus and as He claimed to be God dwelling amongst them, for Him to open up His whole divine life is something that their categories could not contain. And we began this series in John 13 where Jesus as he's eating with his friends, knelt down, he grabbed a bucket of water, takes off their sandals, starting to wash their feet, and he says, unless I wash you, you've no part with me. And so we started this series. Jesus, the one who we are going to hear today, invites us to remain in him. He first shows us this posture of the greatest of loves by drawing near to us by breaking our categories, that our mind cannot grasp fully who He is. We can't memorize enough verses to display that we know Him enough. And yet also, as John talked about last week, it's not about this flexodoxy that Jesus becomes whoever we interpret Him to be. He is God embodied and enfleshed amongst us, close enough that we can see and hear and touch and reference ourselves off of Him. And today we're going to hear Him say, remain with me. Although I go, remain. Jesus as God made flesh is dangerously particular to us. Generously acceptable and yet unashamedly clear that obedience is necessary for us to flourish and live in His kingdom. And one other image that Pastor John has given us is that when we're reading these passages, sometimes it just feels like a bowl of spaghetti. That we're looking... We're attentive. 
We're pulling on the spaghetti. And yet the invitation today, Jesus stops. He makes a pit stop and he says, don't look, eat. Eat of this thing. (laughs) Remain in me. You can contemplate and try to wrap your mind around who I am as much as you would like. But to remain in me, you must partake and eat. Be formed by who I am. Learn how I love. Remain in my love and you will love. Christ's word to us is for our formation, not primarily information. And we know the way, he says, through the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our advocate, our counselor. He says it's for our joy. And so with that, in our minds and in our hearts, I invite us to pray to invite the Spirit to dwell with us, to invite God's presence to be known amongst us. And then I'm going to read our passage for today, John 15, 1 through 17. But would you bow your heart? Bow your hearts. Bow your heads. Open your hearts. Father, we thank you that your posture towards us is yearning to pour out love by your Holy Spirit into our hearts. That is your posture to us this morning. And Holy Spirit, would you bind yourself to our spirits, however weary or excited they are this morning, that you would reveal to us the glory and grandeur of your presence. And would you, in your mercy and tenderness, help us as we learn to abide in you, for it truly is the greatest of gains. In your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. John 15, Jesus' pit stop in the upper room discourse, inviting us to pause, to take, to eat. This is what we read. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that in me bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other 
as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. This is God's word. Perhaps all that we needed to hear today. Remain in me as I remain in you. Pastor and theologian, professor and poet Eugene Peterson. I love just how he puts, he just says, eat this book. Eat this book. He wrote a book called Eat This Book. Because all of Scripture and this word given to us is not information that we hold or look at. It's something that as we digest it, sometimes it's uncomfortable. But yet it's for our growth. It's for our nourishment. And yet we eat every day. And Jesus says to us, remain in me. Jesus pauses to let the disciples touch a truth that will ground them in the source of all that is and sustain them for all that is to come because Jesus is about to leave. He's made that really clear. I'm leaving. You cannot go where I go. But here he says to them, touch this truth. Remain in me because I will remain in you. Keep remaining, residing, abiding in my love and fruit will follow. Jesus says the source of life always comes before the fruit. But there will be fruit, he assures us. But the source is good. The source is life. What a shepherding moment. I just kept reading this this week. What a shepherding moment from our teacher Jesus. That he pauses here, realizing that his disciples are in cognitive whiplash, trying to understand what is happening. And he says 11 times, Menno, remain. You've likely heard it translated in your English Bibles if you've read John 15 as remain or abide or reside. I love this because for some of you reading, the invitation is simply to hold on, to remain. For others this morning, it's the image of abiding in a house that you have built in which God dwells. And lastly, residing for some of you, the invitation this morning is simply to build a home. For Christ to dwell with you, to reside there with the Lord. Jesus says, take all that you have, all that you know, all that you feel, all that you are, and have it be rooted in the life source which spurred its creation. This is its natural home. Remain in me as I remain in you. My Father's home, Jesus says, is forever bound to the loving Creator who in Himself promises to sustain all things and bring immense blessing to the whole world bigger than what our dreams can fathom that we talked about last week. Here you will grow, Jesus says. Here, in me, you will grow and reach a cadence in depth that is sustainable for your soul. Some of you, I just felt Lord saying that. 
I will give you growth at a pace that is sustainable for your soul today, where you are, in the places where you live and work and breathe, a cadence that is sustainable for your soul, appropriate to the conditions of your life and work. And Jesus is certain that you will bring testimony to his presence wherever you go. You will bear fruit. You will be a witness that cannot be ignored, nor will you be ashamed to speak of the source who knows you so intimately and guarantees to sustain and nurture you to the fullness of life, regardless of what season you find yourself in. Reality. Just encourage you to hear and see Jesus' posture to you this morning. I think so often we rush to the content of Jesus and we forget the posture that he has. His posture is open. It's particular, but it's accessible. But he's open to you. Remain in me. He yearns to pour out his love upon you by his Holy Spirit. Remain in me. Don't leave. Stay. Forever grow. I started here because if you're anything like me, I find that this passage can promote a battle of two images. This whole week, I feel like I've been wrestling with these two images given in this passage. The vine and bearing fruit. Branches and their fruit. Which is more important? I mean, right out of the gate, we get worried. We read the first verses, and Jesus doesn't start with remain. He starts by saying what the image is. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Any any branch that's not bearing fruit, this gardener, my father, actually prunes and cuts away. But those who are attached to me are being pruned so that they can produce more fruit. And we start hearing that we're like cutting branches off. I'm not about this Jesus thing. What is this about? Is it about the fruit that I'm supposed to produce or is it about remaining? There's a tension. This battle about remaining in Christ and bearing fruit creates a war within our soul and in our literal households, our friends, our family circles. What does it mean to bear fruit in Jesus? What does it mean for our life to show that we are truly remaining in Christ? We don't know what comes first. Which is more important? What is the greatest gain, Jesus? That we bear fruit or that we remain in you? We're trying to comprehend and milk Jesus for the magic truth that will make our life in him and in Vancouver more profitable. What is the greatest gain, Jesus? Fruit or remaining? Fourth century follower of Jesus named Athanasius put this wrestling to rest in the form of a question. He says this, For what profit would there be for those who were made if they did not know their own maker? The greatest gain, the greatest profit, the greatest return is simply our return to the source which has brought us life. While this quote can be comforting, our insecurities so often bend the question to make ourselves or myself the center. Either we worry ourselves to death that we're not doing enough to get Jesus' attention, or we think that Jesus should simply be happy that we are carrying on this dead and lifeless religion for him. Because he's not actually that good. You should be happy that we are here this morning, Jesus. But my question that I've wrestled with for a lot of my life, how will Jesus recognize who I am? Will he even take notice of me? 
Will Jesus be impressed or satisfied with the fruit of my life? Or our fruit? In this big question of recognition, we often feel ourselves at war, either against God or other people. Hegel, who's an 18th, 19th century philosopher, says that we all yearn for recognition from people, but it must come from someone outside of us. We need to be with people to be recognized by people, by someone else. And he puts this quote that I I think we have a slide for. He says this, self-consciousness exists for another. That is, it exists only in being acknowledged. He's saying we yearn for someone to notice us. And we have this with the Lord. We yearn to be noticed, to be recognized to be seen as important, to be acknowledged that we are doing a good job, likely better than the person next to us. An interpreter of Hegel puts it this way, recognition becomes a life and death struggle with those around us. We must prove ourselves better by being recognized, by being noticed, by being chosen for the promotion, by not being last in the schoolyard pick that we feel life is. We must be good enough to be valuable and worthy in the eyes of others. And so we come to this passage, yearning to be recognized. And I think it's a difficult pill for us in the West to digest because we aren't quite sure how to relate to a holy God who is adamant that we are worthy to spend time in his home. I think that's just difficult for us to grasp. How can we grapple with the fact that a holy God says we are worthy to live and reside in his home? We either think that the best way is to prove ourselves valuable or to bear much fruit, or we convince ourselves that Jesus needs to prove himself valuable to us, that he is worthy of us carrying his fruit for him. The modernists Fruit is knowing more scripture than other people. The postmodernists boast in their fruit of empathy and the embodiment of Jesus' posture, but maybe not reading the story. And so for the rest of our time, with this idea of recognition, fruit and remaining, there's three questions that I just want to work us through. Three questions to journey along with. Three are this. How does this holy God recognize us? How does he take notice of us? What is his posture of inviting us to himself? Second, how do we abide? How do we abide? And third, what about the fruit? And so first, how does this holy God recognize you? What is Christ's posture to you? So I want to begin at the beginning of John 15 with this beautiful image that Jesus speaks of, of him being the vine, him being the living one in whom we find our life. And His Father is the one, the gardener who prunes and trims to fill the world with more blessing and fullness through Jesus. The word prune used when He talks about followers, that He will prune them, it actually is cleanse. I will cleanse you. The Father cleans us in such a way that allows for our life to to flourish. But then the verse that possibly stood out to me the most this entire week, and I don't know if I've ever heard it talked on, is verse 3. Verse 3 reads this, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. 
You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This is a fascinating moment in salvation history. Because Jesus declares his disciples as clean without going through the temple ritual. He says you're clean simply because you are abiding and allowing yourselves to be formed by my word which I am giving to you. That you are digesting. It is not information. It is forming you. This is a wild declaration. You, you are not recognized by your proximity to Jesus or the duties that you think you have to do. But in this binding act of faith, we are cleansed. And we know this because Judas was near to Jesus in closest proximity, three years. But Jesus, after washing the disciples' feet in John 13 uses this same word as he says to his disciples, you are clean, but not all of you. You are clean, but not all of you. He knew Judas, although close, was not menowing, was not remaining, was not abiding, and that he would betray him. Menow, this word used 11 times, is for those who are with Jesus. But it doesn't mean thriving. It is rooms for, room for those to doubt or deny or reject or those who are prone to pride. I mean, just think about the crew that Jesus is speaking to. We've labeled them this way. Doubting Thomas. Denying Peter. Power-hungry sons of thunder. James and John who ask, can I sit at your right hand, by the way, when you go there? Promiscuous Mary. Busy Martha. We've labeled people not in their posture of thriving, but actually in their posture of resistance to abiding in Christ. And yet, to these people there, Jesus says, you are already clean. Remain in me. Allow yourselves to be pruned. Jesus says, you are recognized first by residing before you are recognized by the fruit you produce. This is where our abiding begins. We are invited to approach Jesus with confidence, to abide in His holy home. But throughout the story of Scripture, we notice that this is always a pinch point for God's people. How do we approach God? How do we do this? This holy God, who Israel was afraid to approach on the mountain, who Isaiah was afraid to speak to, who had a sacred room only to be entered once a year by one person, knows that our discomfort of entering near to Him, encountering Him, will make us prone to worship what we can approach easily. Because Jesus, this holy God, is difficult to approach, we often just choose to approach things that allow us to approach really easily. We put other things in the space holding that hold us and that we remain, or remain in. But they can never truly recognize us for who we are. But here, Jesus, knowing that Thomas will doubt, that Peter will deny, that James and John will try to leverage to climb the kingdom's corporate ladder, gives this reminder, before you measure your fruit, know that I invite you to remain with me. You are clean. You are worthy. And without knowing this, you cannot bear fruit. I have built you to remain. In, a posture, in this culture where we yearn for recognition, this is how Christ's, Christ recognizes you today. Those of you who yearn to hold to faith in Him, you are clean, but abide. So the next question, if this is Jesus' posture to us, that we are clean, if this is freeing, 
How then do we abide? Abiding is committing all of our days to draw closer to the source of our life for the glory of God. Really, I was listening to, if you've ever heard of the sneaky artist in uh, Vancouver, uh, Nishant Jain, he says, like, there's no straight line from one place to another. There's no straight line for how you abide with Jesus. But what I can tell you is where we start. So I'd like to start there. A concrete truth. Practically, remaining starts with confession. Confession. So I want to walk us through this. We abide. So in this passage, we abide in the same pattern of love as is shown to us. So we abide in Jesus in the same way that he has displayed this immense love to us. And it starts here in verse 9. Remain in my love, Jesus says. Remain in my love. Then he says, if you keep my commands, remain in my love. And this is Jesus' command to us. Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. So often we get worried about the wording of commands and obedience. But Jesus says, all of this must flow from how I have shown love to you. And so before we ask any question about obedience and commands and following and loving other people, the first question Jesus asks us implicitly is, how have you actually experienced divine love? Have you experienced it? As I have loved you. How would you describe to someone how Christ has shown love to you? Not simply through Bible verses, but in the depth of your soul, by remaining with Him, He yearns for you to know, as I have loved you, this is how I want you to love one another and remain. We abide in the same pattern of love as is shown to us. Verse 13 reads this, talking about this love. If you're wrestling with like, I don't know. I don't know how Jesus has shown me love. Verse 13 tells us, greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for one's friends. Our posture of abiding must follow where the love of Christ begins in our hearts, realizing that Jesus, despite all of his cosmic power, his glory, his holiness, Christ Christ is put to death so that you may taste life. This is the greatest of loves. But so often we skip this process of remaining in the source and just try to produce fruit. We think, I have to love my neighbor first because that's what this is saying. But don't be deceived in thinking that first this means loving our neighbor. First this means we approach Christ, the one who's first shown us love. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for our friends. We do not first lay down our life for our neighbors. First, we actually say, Christ, I will lay down my life for you. I will remain. I will allow every root and fabric of my being to be grafted into you as the source. And I will cease to try to find sources of life for myself. This is the only true way I can love my neighbor. We have to take him up on the offer that we are worthy to be in his presence and offer the entirety of our lives at his disposal, laying down our life for the one who has loved us first. This is how Christ has loved you. 
So first, abide by loving Him back. Know the pattern of Jesus' love by practicing the pattern as we enter His presence. And so the first concrete posture we have is confession. Repentance. Some of you are like, is there another option? Confession and repentance. We're entering into a season of the church calendar called Lent that John already talked about. Lent is this time of turning. But often we just think it's a time where we just have to list off the bad things so that Jesus can look and be like, yeah, yeah, I'll clean you of those things. Instead, it is a relief for us to go to Christ knowing that we are already cleansed, being able to say, I know I am cleansed, but there actually are things that are holding me back from tasting of life to the full. Lent is a season of our constant turning, our daily reshaping and molding that puts to death the time we give to lifeless, rocky, and thorn-infested soil that we so often plant ourselves within and wonder why we're not tasting of life. And not progress, life. In my own formation into Jesus, I've really been trying to grapple over the last months about what does it mean to pray without ceasing? That's a big ask. And yet I was challenged as I was reading this passage. This is the same thing. Jesus is saying, how you pray without ceasing is by remaining with me with every ounce of your being. And as I grow into prayer, I realize that the sweetest and fullest times are moments of confession. Like really tangibly, Tuesday mornings at 645, a group of us, four or five, pray here. And we start first, just like we started today, knowing the posture of Christ towards us. That He yearns to pour out His love to us. Second, we move to a time of confession. And there's someone who joined our group that, I love this line, on their way there, they said, you know what, as I was here walking, I was thinking, what am I going to confess today? What am I going to confess? What can I give up and offer back to the one who promises to give me life to the full? It's a time in morning prayer that is often filled quicker than other spaces because there is a natural relief knowing that Christ has already called us clean and that we can approach Him. And He can remind me of the lie that I tell myself that I am not worthy to be recognized because of these things that hold me back. Instead, we begin our time of prayer with confession, saying nothing can hold us back from drawing near confidently to the presence of Christ who is our life. Remain in me. Jesus recognizes me in the same way I recognize Him. And the same is for you. That life comes through death and resurrection. And He says in verse 11, this is His greatest joy. It's pretty clear. This is my greatest joy for you. And so it is for our joy, our contentment, our relief. Like a clogged artery, confession acts as a stent that is painful in placing, but relieving in shoring up the roots and arteries of our hearts to be in connection with Jesus, the true vine, who yearns to give us life to the full. But in this recognition, we are not a slave approaching a master like Hegel thought, but someone that Jesus delights to unfold all of his blessings upon. And give blessings to flow through. Verse 15 says this. I no longer call you servants. Because servants do not know their master's business. Instead I have called you friends. 
For everything that the Father has shown me, I have shown to you. And so beyond confession, this journey of remaining, abiding, residing, requires daily attentiveness to what Christ wants to reveal to us about this grand plan that He says, I do not withhold from you. I want, to, I want you to see it. I want you to see where fruit is actually popping up because you just might not be looking in the same place. E.M. Bounds, who wrote many books on prayer, says that every day we must pray because what we need today will not be the same as yesterday and it will not be the same as tomorrow. What I can tell you with certainty is that confession is where this abiding begins and it is good. And it is hard. But there's a few more reminders of where abiding will lead us. If abiding means committing all that we have to growing near to the source of life, we have to constantly be asking whether the structures around us are growing us from our source or from the source. Basically what I'm trying to say is, are the structures aiding us in growing or are we actually just growing within the structures themselves and neglecting the source which brings us life? And we talk a lot here at Reality about this rule of life, a trellis that allows us to grow and flourish. But there's a few things, three kind of things that I was trying to think about in this process of abiding that I want to bring up. The first is about structures, these trellises, these practices that we have. Structures are nothing without the source. Structures can also easily be mistaken to be the source of our flourishing. And third, structures can greatly aid us in our growing. Some of us simply spend too much time engaging with Jesus' content and not Jesus himself. We love engaging with Jesus' content. We listen to sermons. Maybe as you drive, we're reading Christian books, the newest books that come out, that are talking about the cultural moment things. We pound through podcasts. We're shoring up our rule of life, but neglecting time to pray and remain in the source which brings us fullness. I think sometimes our structures that talk about Jesus are actually at times keeping us from experiencing what it means to abide and remain in Jesus because we crave to fill the time with those things instead of saying, actually, I need to just spend time with Jesus, possibly in a form of prayer that is kneeling, eyes closed, Hands open. Sometimes we're like, no, 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 that's like way too legalistic for us. Some of you will be called to do that. To stop reading a book and instead to actually get on your knees and pray. Some of you, instead of filling the space of your drive with the podcast, I just encourage you, take five minutes. Five minutes of silence and just ask, Lord, what are you doing today? I'm nothing without the source. Structures are beautiful. But they're nothing without the source and they can easily become the source itself. The invitation is pray without ceasing, not to learn about prayer without ceasing. So the first is just about structures. How are the structures serving your remaining and your abiding with Jesus? The second is metrics. The metrics of growth in God are not the same as in the world. I was reminded of this psalm, Psalm 84. You've heard the song before, okay? Um, This is a, a warning. Better is one day in your courts 
than a thousand elsewhere. Read this with me. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Did you hear the metrics? We can get really literal about this. You know what this breaks down to? I did the math this morning. 86.4 seconds a day. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. What's one one thousandth of your day? 86.4 seconds. If we're trying to be literal about it, my invitation for you is to set a clock for 86.4 seconds and sit at the doorpost. Sit at the threshold saying, I want to remain today. Even if that's all that you have to give God that day, 86.4 seconds. He said, it is better to do that than go the entire day saying you are too busy for it. He says, my metrics of growth are not the same. By the power of the Spirit, you can grow and abide in Christ in ways that our world cannot offer. And it does not offer the same metrics of growth. 86.4 seconds a day. Jesus invites you to remain with all that you have. But he also says he will sustain you. He'll give you those opportunities if that's all that you have. But some of you, that clock's just got to be turned up a little bit. Finding time in your day. And lastly is this. Jesus is good to give what he promises. Some of you are hearing this and Nicole and I have heard of a lot of friends this week that the invitation to abide or remain or reside doesn't seem like an option. Life is coming at them hard and fast. The promise is this. Jesus says, if that's how you're feeling, if you are feeling the pangs of death of a loved one or the death of a dream or the agony of a lost job or trying to find a place to live in Vancouver or to restore a relationship that is broken, he simply says, remain in me. This is his love to you, that when you have nothing to offer him, he has laid down his life so that you could remain and taste of life to the full, even if fullness does not look <laughs> like the metrics of this world, of happiness, the perfect Instagram, or whatever it may be. Take heart that you don't need to staple the fruit of someone else onto the branch of your tree. Lastly, you notice that I haven't talked a lot about fruit. Put really simply, Jesus says, fruit will naturally follow if you abide with me. We can rack our brains all day about are we producing enough fruit? Twice we read, verse 8, verse 16, Jesus says, if you are abiding with me, you can ask whatever you want in my name and it will be done. One of the promises of Jesus, the way that we know that we are abiding is simply if our eyes are aware of what is happening around us and how God is moving. He says, I want you to ask. This is what fruit looks like. Our residing with Jesus will draw us to yearn for, yearn for and ask for flourishing in the places that are lacking life. Jesus is wildly convinced that your life can abide with him and produce fruit. Jesus said, this is lasting fruit. You didn't choose Jesus. He chose you. He appointed you that you should go to bear fruit, lasting fruit. And this fruit, he says, is to the glory of my Father. And this glory 
Habakkuk 2.14 says that the earth will be filled with the glory and knowledge of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. So as we abide, this fruit will naturally be shown. This is to Christ's and the Father's glory. But fruit doesn't just mean a quiet time every morning. It's God's pruning work, prodding work, building work, building Himself in your life in ways that cannot help but spill forth into the arenas of your life. And so instead of trying to tell you what good fruit is, I just have three questions to end with. Three prompts. These are the three. A little fruit check. Is, do you acknowledge God's presence in the conversations of your life? Just in your talking. Not, not here on Sunday, but including here. Is God ever included? Just the first question. They're all labeled number one. <laughs> Second question. Do you feel promptings of the Spirit as you go through your day? Do you feel the promptings of the Spirit? Do you feel like there's things that are happening in your day that you're like, you know what, I didn't have that planned. And I'm, uh, maybe I should think about that a little bit more. Are there promptings of the Spirit? And third, and this is perhaps the hardest, do you ever feel the discomfort of the Father's pruning? Maybe the most telltale sign of our abiding. At times, do we feel discomfort of realizing that, you know what, I'm trying to do my own thing here. I'm trying to sustain myself. And there's just that prodding of the Spirit that is drawing you to confession, is drawing to repentance, not because you're a bad person, but because Christ wants to actually relieve you of that and offer to you a life that will fill you to the full. And so I, I'm just going to invite the, the music team up uh, to lead us in a few more songs. And as, as they do that, just want to end with this quote from Athanasius. I think I have it there. Maybe I don't. I'll read it for us. What profit would there be for those who were made if they did not know their Maker? This prophet of Christ extends beyond ourselves and into our world as a place of blessing to remain, to abide, and to reside. And so in that, why don't we just try to join in what God's doing right now before the music starts. So I just encourage you just to close your eyes. Let's, yeah, let's pray together. Jesus, I want to thank you that you say that your posture towards us is marking us as clean. Jesus, I want to thank you that as we are here this morning, we can just rest knowing that. that you've declared us clean as we, as we remain, as we bind ourselves to you. Jesus, I want to thank you that you have shown us also the greatest of loves by laying down your life for us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, would you just draw to mind points in each person's life here of ways that you have laid down your life so that they may live. And Jesus, I ask that gently, gently, in your mercy, you would show just the areas of life that just need a stent, that just need relief. 
So as you're here, if there's something that's coming up for you, just let's just take a moment. The greatest of love shown to you is that you are clean and that Christ laid down his life. So if there's something, Jesus, would you prod us in our hearts even now? And Lord, I pray that in this, as we, as we reflect, would we know that your joy is made complete in us as we are invited to come, to reside, to remain, and to abide. In your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.